Jumbo Joe Thornton is headed to the Maple Leafs on a one-year contract. Sam, do you think he's coming back for the part of his missing beard? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe so. I, it's really hard to tell. This know. is On The Rise Podcast, Season 2. Listen now on all major platforms as well as midtownradio.ca weekends at 10 a.m. Welcome your host, Sam Donzik and Evan Brown. Welcome to episode 21 of the On The Rise podcast. Hot out of the oven first, Joe Thornton signs a one-year $700,000 league min uh, deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs per the Toronto Maple Leafs PR team. Uh, Sam, I'm going to give my thoughts first and then you can kind of go ahead uh, on if this is a good deal for the Leafs. Personally, I think it's a great deal for the Leafs. I think it adds a lot of grit, a lot of size, a lot of heart, and a lot of leadership to this team. Joe Thornton, obviously has spent uh, most of his career with the San Jose Sharks and has been an incredible leader for them, an incredible captain. And I think his, his leadership and playoff experience and just everything to do with Joe Thornton is good. And I think him bringing him in to play amongst, amongst a bunch of young guys it will really fire this team up. And, I mean, like, I, I haven't seen any bad things said about Joe Thornton. He seems like an incredibly nice guy. And, I mean, he, he's a – bit of a jerk to play against on the ice it seems but he's a guy that's also like great leader great locker room guy and just seems like he may be mean on the ice but he's not the same when it's when it comes to off the ice he seems like a really genuinely nice guy and I mean I think this signing is going to be great for them I think league men obviously he understands they're going to be uh, at least are a bit cash strapped cash cash strapped right now Mm -hmm. and I think type for cash the the best part of this deal in my opinion as well is it was just announced yesterday that Joe Thornton had signed a one-year deal with uh, – I, I don't know the exact name of the team because I don't speak uh, Swiss, but uh, he signed with a team in the Swiss League uh, overseas for yeah, the it was like, it was Yeah, it was like in da- Davos, I think it was. I, I saw it. Da- Somewhere yeah. around there. but mm-hmm. it, it's, Yeah, it, it was hard to tell. It's his, it's his typical place where he goes in the offseason, and he basically trains there in the offseason. He gets he plays some games out there, draws in fan interest for the team. He has a real soft spot for that team. Um, but he goes in there and puts in uh, work in the offseason, uh, training a bunch of the younger Swiss players, actually, being a very good leader in the locker room. But also it's because he just wants to get that extra hockey in. He puts the extra work in. He is over 40 years old now, so he is aging a bit. But I think that's going to be great in a year where – we don't know when the start of the NHL is happening. We don't know when anything is happening, especially over here in North America. So to see him going overseas and playing games, I think he's going to be more ready than a lot of guys are coming when the NHL eventually restarts. So I think this is a great deal for him I, I, and for the Leafs. I think it's going to be good to see him in a Leafs uniform. He's a guy that you want playing on your team instead of playing against you. And I think he's going to have a really big impact on this Leafs team. What do you think? I would definitely agree. And I think as well, when you have Joe Thornton comes in with lots of veteran experience and as well, don't mind, he is Canadian as well. So another Canadian exactly. player coming, exactly. coming home to Toronto as well as well, Indeed. Wayne Simmons as well. So coming home to Toronto. And I think the biggest thing with Joe Thornton, the big positive is that he brings that a veteran experience into the playoffs, right? Like he can be that fourth line guy that's going to get under the skin of players. And as well, now you have Wayne Simmons as well. You would put those two on a fourth line. They're going to cause some real trouble <laughs> for teams. Like, that's going to be a deadly line. Imagine and it's going, to be, it's going to be great for the Leafs, yeah. The, your, your fourth line now is the ultimate, I don't want to play against you guys line. You have Jason Spezza with Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons. Yeah, That like is that, going that's... to be the veteran, just we are going to go out there and hit you. And that's the yeah. only thing we're going to do. Oh, and yeah. that line is going to be so fun to yeah. watch. Oh, it's going to be it's going to be basically just like the movie Goon where they're just going to just hit players <laughs> and hit players and hit players and it's just going to be it's going to be brutal physicality, which is good. And as well, and like to your point as well, when he signs with um like obviously he signed with like this um Swiss team as well to get some practice in. That's great for him because like you said as well, we're unsure when the NHL is going to come back, where they're going to play possibly as well Canadian divisions as per the I think it was the yeah, was, GM leaked that out something that, was that he leaked out. So it could possibly have Canadian divisions where the Canadian teams are playing each other and the American teams are playing each other in small quarters and stuff. So they're not traveling, obviously, across because they can't be traveling across the border. So it's, it's good for him to do that because it's important for athletes to stay physical as well. Even as well, a lot of times, even for other sports as well, we saw that teams 
weren't able or players weren't able to have access to like facilities and courts and it's hard for hockey players especially considering you know like it's like if you're a basketball player you can have like you know a court in your house you know like a multi-million dollar or you can have a like all you need is a hoop you can do like go down to like yeah. toys yeah. and buy like 200 dollars hoop and you're good on a basketball for hockey players it's a lot harder to kind of like you can train and work out as much as possible but you need to be on the ice you need to be skating yeah. you need to be like working your mind mentally, physically. And it's a hard for a lot of these players that don't have the opportunity. So it's good. It's great to see Joe Thornton doing that to stay in shape as well. Cause I don't know exactly how old he is. I think he's 40. Is he, has he 40. hit 40 yet? Oh, he's definitely hit 40. I yeah. He's, he's definitely hit 40. 41. I was going to say 41. Yeah. So a 41 year old still, you know, kick it in and stuff like that is good. Um, I think honestly, he's going to make a big impact. Like he's going to be a great fourth line player. And if he shows promise, he could possibly move up to the third line. But most likely, he's probably going to be in the fourth line with Wayne Simmons and Jason Spezza, which is yeah. going to be an insane fourth line as well. And yeah. I think as well, Dubas – so in your mind, has Dubas done enough to improve the Leafs to lead them to the promised land? Do you think that Dubas has done enough this offseason, if you look at all the signings and the deals and stuff? Overall, I've loved the offseason Dubas has had. He went into uh, his press conference going into the start of the draft and free agency is he wants to make this team harder to play against. And that is that is a very good uh, a good point that he should bring up because the Leafs, while were they were bad uh, defensively for the past few seasons, but they also were just like no team went into the locker room and said, oh, no, we're playing the Leafs. Mm-hmm. They just were like, okay, we're playing the Leafs. We can, we just have to like pressure their weak spot, which is their defense. So yeah. Dubas decided, okay, you're going to go out and hit all of our high speed forwards. You're going to go out and pressure our defense. Okay. We're going to improve our defense. We're going to get guys that make you scared of us. And you get guys, you get a guy like Joe Thornton and you get a guy like Wayne Simmons and they will, they, Wayne Simmons even said, said it in his, uh, press conference after they signed uh, after they signed him he will punch your face off if necessary which is a very blunt way of putting it but hey that's what if that's what you need to do then that's what you need to do and I think Dubas has uh, improved the defense well I don't even know if he's done yet to be quite honest with you I still think he might go out and get another defenseman uh, and I think the what he's done with the forward group getting a bunch of cheap veteran forwards that have good leadership and Joe Thornton and re-signing Jason Spezza getting Wayne Simmons like this Leafs team is going to be good next season and I think I don't I don't know if he's done yet but I do think he has done enough to improve this team and I'm excited to see what's uh, what's to come for them and um, for anybody confused by the intro that's listening um, as to why I mentioned this whole missing part of his beard thing. So I think it was two years ago, the year before the Leafs traded Kadri, yep. uh, Nazem Kadri, and they were facing, at least were playing the Sharks. It was just starting off. I don't remember. I think it was actually just to start off the game. Um, Nazem Kadri and Joe Thornton were lining up at center ice and they just dropped the gloves, dropped yeah, the gloves right fighting. off, the, started fighting straight off the start of the game. And it was really, uh, it was a really good fight because Nazem Kadri is a guy that never backs down. He was a guy that would always go up there and fight you uh, if he needed to. And Joe Thornton, same thing. He is a veteran guy. He will get his, if he needs to light a spark for his team, he will do so. And the fight went on. And I think, I, I think uh, Joe Thornton ended up winning, but during the fight, Nazem Kadri accidentally or purposefully, I have no idea, like, ripped a part of Joe Thornton's very large yeah, and shaggy yeah. beard at the time. He just yeah, like his beard hair. He just out. pulled it off, yeah. And just left it on the ice after they fought. And that that was such a funny story. Like I I was watching that game at the time and I was dying of laughter because he just ripped out it like that yeah, like was what guy? Thing it was it was time. like it was similar to not the not the same aspect, but it was very similar to um like when Mike Tyson uh, bit off Evander or I want to. Say, I think it was Mike Tyson who bit off Evander over here. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, his ear and stuff. And it was just a weird thing. Like obviously we were at that moment, but it's it's yeah. not the same thing. But it's very comparable to that oh, yeah. moment where it's like it's just a weird thing. Like why would you do that? Like what are it so was not necessary <laughs> pulling someone's like beard hair off? And um, I would def- I definitely agree. With you. I think Dubas has done enough to improve with the signings that he's made, re-signing Spezza, getting Joe Thornton bringing in Wayne Simmons, bringing in a right-handed defenseman to help like actual proper right-hand defenseman is going to be big as well. Um, I think 
it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like, now I think teams are going to be scared to play the Leafs, at least the Leafs' fourth oh, yeah. line. Like, no one wants to be on, like, their stars. Like, the coaches who come into that game, like, okay, star players, like, you know, line one, don't be on when line four is on because you're going to get killed. <laughs> like, yeah, when, yeah. like, if, like <laughs> yeah. if they're playing, like, I don't know, let's say the Montreal Canadiens and Brendan Gallagher is on and, like, you know, Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons, Wayne Simmons are on the same time, <laughs> little Brendan Gallagher, who's 5'11", is going to get killed. <laughs> Yeah, he he's, he's not he's not going to live. He's not going to. Leafs are going to have a real fun time this year, and there are going to be. It's not going to just be Jake Muzzin and the occasional uh, Kyle Clifford hit. That's just going to be big. It is going to be multiple guys, and I think, as well, you take a look at some of these guys. Like you take a look at Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton. They're not going to be the only ones doing the hitting. They're going to be teaching this Leafs team, and it's going to have. It's going to rub off on everybody. You're going to see Matthew start to uh, throw a few more hits. I don't think you'll see Marner because he is not the, <laughs> not the right size for that, but I do think you'll see a guy like Matthews, a guy like Tavares, start throwing a bit more hits, getting a bit more Tavares physical. Is a, right? Tavares is a big guy. So is Matthews. Like, oh, like yeah. Marner's a smaller guy, but don't, like, they're two other Those are big guys. You know, like, use your, like, use your size, yeah, guy, use your size like, to your oh, advantage. Man. Like, if, if you have the ability to do it, use it because it's like, yeah, you're a skilled player. But when a skilled player starts to use his body to be physical, that's where the like the play steps up. Like if you look at a player like Sidney Crosby, Sidney Crosby for a lot of times uh, was like, obviously he's a very skillful player, but he started to use the body a bit more. Ovechkin has used the body like obviously a lot. And he like, you know, those types of players are kind of what you want to be if you're like an Austin Matthews. Like you've got the skill, but if you can be able to hit, and be able to forecheck, backcheck, you know, properly and put on some pressure, that's going to add another level to the game, which is going to be very interesting. And with the defense now, you have guys that are not – like Morgan Riley is just going to have a field day because it's not going to matter who he's paired with, whether they decide to go with Bogosian, who they uh, – there have been, like, some rumors on Twitter that he might be paired with, or TJ Brody, which I think is probably the better option. Either way, TJ Brody is a guy that will go out and lay a few hits occasionally, but you still have Muzzin that's going to lay a bunch of hits, and Zach Bogosian, who I mentioned earlier. Zach Bogosian's a guy that will, along with Thornton and Wayne Simmons, drop the gloves occasionally. He will go yeah. after guys too. So this Leafs team is going to be de- uh, definitely harder to play against this coming season. And I'm really excited. I think this is a very good signing for the Leafs. And I mean, you, how can you be upset at this? This is a veteran guy coming in, bringing a bunch of leadership in and he's only, he's making league man. Like yeah. that is the, per- this is the perfect signing for the Leafs in my opinion. Definitely. Moving on to our se- second topic of the day, hot out of the oven, the Braves push the Dodgers to the brink of elig- elimination uh, beating them in game four to take a 3-1 stranglehold over the Dodgers in a game where Kershaw, injured in game two, came all the way back to play in this game four and didn't have a too bad uh, time. My question to you, Sam, is do you think the Dodgers can force a game six? And if they can't, what ha- what's kind of next for them if they if they lose? It's interesting because it's like, obviously, the Dodgers were actually the favorites in the series from, like, watching the games and stuff like that. And we saw that game three where they absolutely just destroyed the Braves. Like, we were, I was, we were both watching the game, and I was like, I turned it on. It was like 11 – it was 7 nothing within the first – or 11 nothing within the first uh, inning, or the, the top it half was of 11 the first nothing. inning. It was 11 nothing within the first top half of the inning, which was insane because it's like, okay, that's weird. You know, like, the Braves have, like, you know, done fairly well. Like, they won the first game 5-1. to one. The second game was a little bit closer, obviously. And then the third game uh, was a complete blowout for the Dodgers. So in my mind, I don't know, because it's like Kershaw has now been pitched. And as well, I don't know exactly who they go back to now because Walker Buehler pitched game one and it's now going to game five. So he's had a couple days rest if Walker Buehler can pitch for game uh, for game five. Or, yeah, game five. So he's had a few games rest. I don't know. I think he would probably, if they can force the game six, Walker Buehler for me would be yeah. a pitcher to They're do starting- it. Yeah, who are they starting for game five? The Dodgers, Dodgers game five going tonight as we are recording this. Uh, Dustin May is starting for the Dodgers. Oh, and May, yeah. the Braves the Braves are going with an interesting thing. Up 3-1, they're going with a bullpen day. They're starting, uh, they're starting reliever A.J. Minter off the start, who I, I was reading an article today uh, from John Heyman, I believe. Uh, he hasn't started a game since, like, junior year of high school. <laughs> so he's going to be probably going for like one or two innings to start off. They're going to try to get through this Dodgers team using only their bullpen, which yeah. I mean, that could work with matchups. We'll see how that goes, obviously. And, and, but. and I can see why they want to do that because it's like they're up three one. So they don't want to use like a ace kind of type. Like, you know, like they don't want to use yeah, like a they don't like, have like to. A player because they don't have to, because they're up three one. So I think as well to answer the question, I think, 
it's really tough to tell because if the Dodgers, you know, can can really the problem is their offense. Their offense has been inconsistent, you know. Like oh, obviously yeah. they had that oh, yeah. big game three, but game one and two they were fairly quiet. Like game one they were really quiet. Game two there was a little bit, and it started to wake up again. But then in game four they got shut down again. So for me, it's like you need to have consistent play as an offense. And they just don't have that. And I think that's where the Braves have the advantage because the Braves had, yes, they had that one bad game, but they have fairly, they've had fairly consistent offense throughout the off season as well, throughout the post postseason as well. I mean, and I think the Dodgers will not be able to force a game six in regards to what's next for the Dodgers. If they lose game five, I don't know. It's really tough. Maybe like they need to, bring in some better players that can that are more consistently offensively can can get on base I don't know maybe they take a um like Oakland A's edition of like you know Moneyball and just like get players that can get on base like I don't know just just something like something like something crazy approach where it's like obviously that's like changed drastically from like then and obviously if they're just gonna pick out some random players that can just get on base that's good it worked sort of for the A's like you know they won a lot of games so they ended up they didn't have they didn't end up winning the world series. So I don't know exactly what they do next. Clayton Kershaw as well. Like that's one point. Now Dave Roberts has come out and said that the narrative of him playing bad in the post in the playoffs is false. False. And it's interesting because it's like, you know, he allowed one run in the five innings, five innings that he pitched. And then the, um, the pitcher that came in, I'm just going to pull this up here. Who was it? Yeah, Bruce Dark Gratterall. Bruce Dark Gratterall allowed three hits and allowed three runs of his own in one amount of a six-run inning. So that's really where the game went downhill. But regardless, it's like, I don't know, like, is he right to like to say that? Because Clayton, Clayton Kershaw, we have known over the past years, still has decided – or has choked as well, like has, has made oh, yeah. crucial oh, mistakes. Yeah. And I think it's tough because it's really, for me, it's like, if you've only had one run in five innings, that's not too bad. And if your offense can't just score, it's like the defense is doing – like the pitcher is really – if you think about it, like the pitcher for obviously is the defense, right? Like it's the defense if you compare it to like another sport. And if the defense is doing great, if the pitcher is doing as best as he can and the offense isn't producing, that's not more you can do. Like the defense – like in baseball, you know, you, the defense can't create takeaways, you know, like as, as in a different yeah. sport. All they can do is just strike out a player – and not let them get on base. You know, they allowed one run, that's it. So for me, it's, it's, I would say it's, it's true to some extent because he has been bad in the playoffs before. But I think for in, in this particular case, uh, it's not particularly all Clayton Kershaw's fault why they lost that game. Like, I think it's unfair for him to be like, you know, he, if anything, they should be going after the other guy who allowed three runs and, you know, the guy who came in. What, like, would you agree or? Yeah. Uh, personally, I think. Um, as far as Dave Roberts defending his player, the uh, head coach of the Dodgers, uh, defending Clayton Kershaw, honestly, I think in this case, he is right. Because yeah. in this, this specific start, mm-hmm. Kershaw was good. He pitched well, and the offense clearly wasn't awake. But saying that the fact that the narrative of him playing in bad in the playoffs, I think that's a little bit skewed. I think that is uh, – like, I don't think what he's saying is – true because you look at the past few seasons you look at Kershaw in the playoffs he has not like the numbers are evident that he is not the same pitcher when it comes to the playoffs as he is in, in, the, in the regular, regular season in the regular mm-hmm. season he clearly has like I don't they don't really know what it really is it's just I don't know if stage it's mentality fright. or if it's stage I said I said stage right? fright it's it's all I don't know if it's really stage fright but like I think as well, like, yeah, overall, the narrative, I think, in that statement of him saying playing bad, that's, like, he's wrong there. But in, like, like you said as well, in this specific game, in game four, he pitched a good game. He played yeah. as best as he could. The offense struggled. They didn't, like, there was mistakes otherwhere. The other pitcher that came in just didn't do his job, and they lost the game. And, it, and if they won, it would have been a tie 2-2, you know, and we would have had a series. But now it's their three, up 3-1 three as we're recording right now. And we'll see if they move on to the World Series as well. So it's interesting yeah. as well um, to, to see what happens. Yeah, and I think overall, like, uh, even the fact that Kershaw pitched probably still a bit hurt uh, in this game and pitched, yeah. uh, and pitched that well, like, going as far as he did, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, and good that he pitched so well while still injured. Um, and just circling back for a sec, because I was going to talk about that, because uh, you kind of gave your point. I was uh, – I missed yeah, out on giving mine. <laughs> yeah. I do uh, – that's all uh, I think the Dodgers – I don't think the Dodgers can force a game six. I think it's going to be tough for them. I think the bullpen – the Braves the Braves have them right where they want them. And I know the Braves are kind of – they're going with the bullpen day. They're saving their ace just in case, which is smart. But uh, it's also smart in a way because bullpen has been 
uh, going the bullpen route has been kind of the way of recent years, kind of coined by the Tampa Bay Rays, who are on the other side of the bracket. Um, And it can work, and it does have its statistical advantages because you can bring in guys when necessary. You can bring in guys for certain matchups that you want. Like if uh, a certain player doesn't hit well against a left-handed pitcher, you can bring in that left-handed pitcher right when they need to. And then, I mean, obviously after that, that's why GMs – have such a, t- a tough time setting up the batting order because you don't want to have like three three hitters who are batting against lefties because of the yeah. new rule that was added in this year saying that you can't just pitch to one batter and then you're done you have to face minimum three batters as a pitcher uh, uh before you can be taken out um oh so that's, 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 oh i see that that is interesting actually that does that, that, that was a new rule they added in le- uh, this year because it was kind of pace of play slash because a lot of times they would, uh, what they had was a situational lefty. So they'd bring in a, le- a left-handed pitcher to face a left-handed batter, and then immediately they'd pull him and then put in a new guy, and it just wasted that a would, bunch of oh time. Oh, my God. Yeah, that and would waste was, so much time. I would, I would so just turn annoying. off the TV at that point. I'm like, really? Like, come <laughs> on. just Like, you know how much time in general it takes for them to switch a pitcher? Like, the guy, like, oh, they yeah. come over to the mound, they talk, they're like, okay, give me the ball. And then, and then he hands the ball to the, the bullpen. Yeah, and and, then, and, he, and then he hands the ball to the other guy, and it's like the most, it's the most, it's the slowest process in baseball. Like it's like they're like, it's like he's giving away his job. It's like, yeah, buddy, I'm so like, give me the ball, like, <laughs> give him the ball, and then he just gives it to the other pitcher, and then the other guy just walks off like he just, like he just got like shunted or like uh, shunned by like the the yeah, the and then you have like, to wait for the new guy to warm up and throw his eight warm up pitches, and then uh, it just takes forever. Oh it, um, no, yeah, it's it's a whole it's it's a process. It's a big process, you know. And then just to wrap this up, I mean, what's next for the Dodgers if they are lose Game Five? Not only Game Five, but if they lose this series, yeah. Honestly, I think they're really feeling the effects of not having Hyunjin uh, Ryu, which I think uh was a i mean they went out and got mookie bats so they couldn't be too upset that they mookie lost bats uh, and him. as well um uh david price is, did they not get david yes price? that's yeah. another thing they did get david price and uh obviously he opted out uh because of COVID at the start of the year uh and i mean that, that obviously hurt them mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. Ne- ne- next year i think Honestly, I think they're just going to try to run it back. I think their offense needs to be a bit more consistent. They kind of got cold at the wrong time. And I think there might be a bunch of underlying injuries with this team, especially in a 60-game season, because uh, we didn't hear too much about injuries as far as the Dodgers front. A lot of teams had a lot of injuries, and the Dodgers just kind of powered through. And I wonder if there's a bunch of minor underlying injuries there that could be, because who knows if this Kershaw thing was a consistent thing that happened throughout the year with the whole back spasms. We don't know that, obviously. Mm -hmm. But anyways... Yeah. That wraps that up. And moving on to our last hot out of the oven, because we had three today. Uh, Daryl Morey steps down as the Houston Rockets general manager. He will uh, kind of defer to an advisory role with the Rockets, just kind of helping them out until they can find a new head coach. Uh, Raphael Stone, who uh, uh, what was, was an executive. Oh, yeah, he was an executive uh, with the team. He said to become the newest, uh, the newest GM. Yeah, an like, executive the with interim, the team yeah. is going to. Yeah, interim, mm-hmm. interim, until interim, interim GM or, until they find someone new, or or he, he, he could might, stay in the position. He, he might stay with the team. It depends on what he does. And kind of the question I pose to you is: um, Was was Daryl Morey's time with the Rockets successful? Because they didn't win any championships, but he does have this good team, and they've been consistent in the regular season. But it seems like always when it comes to the playoffs, they always fall a bit short. It's weird because it's like when you look at the Rockets, you look at a team that just inherently is really. Decent during the regular season. Like, they've had some big years. Like, they, the one year they won 65 games, lost 17. They were the number one team in the Western Conference. And then the playoffs came, and then the Golden State Warriors – well, of course, Golden, the Golden State Warriors have been their kryptonite for the playoffs, the second round. Oh, yeah. It's oh, been yeah. every time. It's because they don't have the same type of guard play. Is And it would be really interesting to see this year. Obviously, the Warriors didn't make the playoffs, which was weird to see. But if, if, the, if they did make it this year to see – uh, James Harden go against Steph Curry and Clay Thompson against Russ Westbrook because that would have been a good guard on guard matchup. But I still think that really the reason why is that Steph Curry and Clay Thompson just got the better of him. And I don't think his time was successful because, yes, you can say he had great years winning and, you know, he, he won a lot of regular season games. But regular season games don't matter unless you make it to the promised land of be winning a championship. You can be the first seed in every year for like X number of years and still lose in the second round of the playoffs because there was many times where they were a top three team in the Western conference and top one as well in one of the years. And they lost in the second round, obviously to the Golden State Warriors. Not, not all that is to Daryl Morty, but part of the GM is job is to build a great team. 
to bring in the right coach. And maybe Mike D'Antoni wasn't the right coach to work with James Harden. His, his play style didn't go well with James Harden. Like James Harden is very ball dominant, right? Like he takes a lot of shots. He, he averaged a lot of points, but he took a lot of shots. And that just wasn't the right play style. And maybe that was why they didn't succeed so much. And Daryl Morey, I think what he needs to look at this from this position is he said to become an advisory role in this new GM, Raphael Stone. I think what he should look at is, is it, okay, I have to somehow make this team better because clearly we haven't done a good – like, yeah, they brought in Russell Westbrook, which was good. But clearly, again, it hasn't worked. Like, they traded away Clint Capella, which I think was the worst mistake you could do because Clint Capella was a rising star in the league. He's set to become, I think, definitely a top five player in a number of years away because of his size, his dominance inside. And then you replaced him with P.J. Tucker as your center, who's 6'5", by the way, 6'5", compared to, like, other centers like Anthony Davis or Nikola Jokic as well or, like, uh, JaVale McGee. Like, like, those are guys you're playing up against in the playoffs. Like, how are you going to win the games when you can't rebound? And I think the Rockets' only strategy was really just to hit a bunch of threes, but that doesn't always work. So it's like... I think Daryl Morey overall, he wasn't successful because he didn't build the best possible team to succeed going into the playoffs to go against the, like the very heavy West that it is. The Western Conference is very dominant, very competitive. There was teams that were better than the Rockets. There were, and I think that's, that's mainly his, his mistake that he made is that he just didn't find the best team for the Rockets to be. Like He brought in some key players, but not enough and not the right pieces to make a successful franchise. The way I, I, I agree with you, and the way I look at it um, is there's kind of three eras of Daryl Morey. He spent 14, season with, uh, 14 seasons with the team. So in my mind, there's three different eras. There's like the post-T-Mac Yao Ming era, where it was a lot of the older Rockets, where they were decent, but they couldn't really get as far as they wanted to. Then there was the kind of the time period before James Harden uh, and like the early seasons of having James Harden, which were interesting times for the Rockets. That was a bit of a weird era. Uh, yeah, like 20, then, 2012, 2013, I think that was, that's when it was, yeah. When they had, yeah, when they, like just around when they again. first had Harden and he was kind of starting to become the, uh, the beard that we know him as now, um, back when he was barely had a beard. Uh, <laughs> and he, he, he kind of evolved yeah, yeah. into that player. And then mm-hmm. uh, the new era, the newest era of Daryl Morey is this small ball era where yeah. his, his, he ride or die, double down on everything small ball. And that was his thing. And to me – it really wasn't like it wasn't good enough. And yeah. I think if you look at everything Daryl Morey did, he doubled down, he stuck with it. He was like, okay, fine. I'll go with, I'll go with the small ball. I'm doubling down everything. Everything we are going to do is small ball. And then I'm going to go out and get Russell Westbrook for two first round picks and two second round picks. Yeah. And I'm going to trade away Clint, Clint Capella. Mm-hmm. And now I don't have a defensive option for center because I, I, I mean, Daryl Morey thought PJ Tucker could be a good guard for a center, but that's just not, that's not a thing in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and, Being six, uh, five is not a center. Like that's, that's not no, the center. Height. Every, every dominant center, like Anthony Davis was always going to dominate the Rockets because they'd never had a guard for him. And I, as much as I appreciate and respect Daryl Morey for trying to be an innovator, trying to bring in a new era of basketball with this whole small ball, three point shooting lineup, it wasn't a success and it clearly didn't work out. You need to, you need to have some big men to rebound, get blocks, get stops on other centers. And it, it was a failure in my mind, because I think you look at the post T-Mac era. I think that was a success because he brought them, he easily transitioned without having to go through a big rebuild and brought them their new star in James Harden. Yeah. The James Harden era, I think was a bit of a success because he brought the team to a team that was barely in the playoffs to now top of the West. And now it's it's deep dived into a unsuccessful thing because he took the team that was good and then made them worse with the small ball couldn't bring them uh couldn't bring them the rest of the way to the championship and while they were good in the regular season he couldn't push his team far enough into the playoffs he didn't give them what they needed to succeed and in my mind that that was the failure of Daryl Morey and I think uh, between everything, uh, between all of his comments uh, regarding Hong Kong uh, uh, last year, that kind of yep. sent the whole NBA in, into a dispute with China uh, over basketball rights and and such. And everything Daryl Morey has done for the past two or three years really has just like it's seen him heading out the door. Uh, yes, he did sign a five-year extension recently. Um, yeah, it was 2019 as well that he signed it. Yeah, in my mind, I think yeah, it was 2019. Like he had a lot of time, and the Rockets clearly wanted him to be their GM. But I think Daryl Morey saw he was on the way out. Clearly, things weren't working, 
And I think he kind of saw that and saw Mike D'Antoni leave and saw, okay, I'm kind of in a tough spot here. I've kind of screwed over the future of the team here. I traded away two first round picks for the future. I traded away two second round picks. We're not going to have anything for the future. And clearly it's not working. Uh, I'm just going to step down because I put myself into a mess I can't get out of in my mind. And I mean, no. it's tough for the Rockets to be in this situation, but uh, I think Daryl Morey had to step down from after what he's done to this team. And it wasn't a successful time because of what he's done in the past few years. Yeah, I would 100% agree. And I think your point as well that they'll like Daryl Morey trying to invent or in reinvent like or invent in, into like a small ball air. And I think really the NBA is very close to that. But I don't think we're yet at a small ball era. We're definitely in a three-point shooting no. league. Like, most players need to sh- three-point shoot. They need to have that skill coming into the league. Like, a lot of even center, like not even centers, but even centers, power forwards, small forwards, they need to be able to shoot the three or develop a three ball to be successful in the league. And I don't say, and I don't think the league is going to go towards that. But I think maybe in five or so years, like, we're always going to need centers but like it's not like the whole league is going to just eliminate like players like Anthony Davis Nikola Jokic like you're not just gonna be like okay we're just gonna like you know trade like there's always gonna be a team with them so I think that we're never gonna really get to a true small ball lineup but I think certain teams can use small like certain teams have used including the Toronto Raptors have gone small during games um just you know for a for a short time but they don't have a full small ball lineup um, yeah. Like for for a season, you know, like they go in for a short period of time because they want to just have more shooters, more guards and stuff. And it works. Sometimes it works and it doesn't work sometimes. So it's really hit and miss, but that's only for a short period of time in the game. So I think really it's interesting that he wants to bring in this new era. I would definitely agree. I think there were certain times where Daryl Morey was successful as a GM, but most notably in the last four or five years with this bringing in the small ball lineup, trading away, like you basically traded away the team's future. Like, he's basically – yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's interesting as well that it's the Houston Rockets. If you think about, on, on, let's say, Bill O'Brien, the Houston Texans, who also traded away DeAndre Hopkins and first-round picks. Maybe something's weird with GMs in Houston that they just don't know how to operate, but – And the Astros cheating? Like, Houston's And the Astros cheating? Houston's just a weird <laughs> place in general for, for sports GMs and just sports leagues because – or for sports teams because – Push everything to the side about Dallas teams. Push everything to the side about Dallas teams. Nobody cares about the Cowboys, Mavericks, or uh, anything to do with that. Or, like, Texas Rangers. Put put those aside. We're only focusing on just Houston teams. (laughs) It's not all of Texas. It's Houston. There's a problem. Just Houston Houston as well. Houston teams alone seem to have a bit of a problem with, um, I don't know, cheating, uh, bad GMs, everything else. But that's kind of my take on it. Alrighty, that wraps up our discussions hot out of the oven regarding the Joe Thornton signing with the Maple Leafs, the Braves pushing the Dodgers to the brink of elimination, and Daryl Morey stepping down as Rockets GM. Moving on to our second segment of the day, our NFL week, I don't know, who knows, what, what is it, week five? Week six, I think this week, 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 week six actually, yeah. Week, week six, six preview, preview uh, kind of going over three of the games of interest this week. Starting off with the Green Bay Packers versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. Who last year this wouldn't have been a very important game. It would have been Packers all the way against a Bradyless Tampa Bay Buccaneers with this James year, Winston with James Winston at the helm. Oh, <laughs> with James Winston at the helm, which I think they're very glad they don't have that era anymore. <laughs> um, yes. Who who comes out on top in this one, and what is your kind of score prediction? For me, it's easy because the the Packers are the better team offensively their defense is weak but the Buccaneers offensively are not sound enough like if you think about it like even with Brady and Gronkowski and Mike Evans it's weird because it's like so many people were hyping up these Bucks, and I think probably one of us was including me I wasn't too hype like too high on the hype train but I was like yeah they'll have a decent year like they'll go seven and nine they'll, they'll win a couple games I wasn't gonna say they're gonna go 15 like you know 14 and two because I know they're not because they just don't have that chemistry yet with Aaron Rodgers also as well. Aaron Rodgers, MVP candidate. He's been playing lights out this year. Uh, Aaron Jones has been playing lights out. Even as well, I don't know, let's say Devonta Adams is out. Lazard is out. They're down. Or I think Lazard is playing, but he's playing injured. Like they're down to like they're, they're down and out, but Aaron Rodgers is still performing. So easy for me. Packers come out of top. Score prediction, I think it's going to be fairly high considering the Packers defense is a little bit weak. Like they, they have shown weakness in some areas. So I'm going to say 31-24, Packers come out of top over the Bucks. What are your thoughts there? 
I was going to say, I, I agree that it's going to be the Bucks haven't lived up to expectations at all. Uh, and going to be honest, I wasn't, I, I mean, I was, I thought they were going to be an average team. I thought they were like, yeah. going to be like not too bad, but I didn't think they were going to be this bad starting off. Clearly chemistry is an issue. Clearly Brady is getting a bit older. Uh, and I think yeah, it doesn't, doesn't know what fourth down is. Apparently, doesn't anymore. know what fourth down is. Uh, and in my mind, I mean, the Packers defense, like you said, has been a bit shaky at times this season. They have had their fair share of injuries, but I think Aaron Rodgers, like you said, MVP candidate, the Packers are looking really hot right now. Uh, I'm, I, I'm going Packers all the way in this one. I think unless Brady pulls something, uh, which we've seen Brady do many times in the past, which could easily happen. I'm going Packers on this one. And I agree. It's going to be a high scoring affair. Uh, purely based on the fact that the Packers games have been very high scoring this year. They have a high powered offense, pretty weak defense. Uh, and Tom Brady's going to get his points in there no matter what. So I think, I think it's going to be, you said 31, 24. I'm yep. going to go. I'm going to go. 42, 32. 42-32. Ooh, that, that is high scoring. That is. That's very it is high gonna be a high. It's going to be a high scoring game, but I think I'm going Packers by 10. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting game. Definitely. Moving on to our second game of the week. This one's going to be a battle of two of the top teams in the league. It's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Buffalo Bills. I'm going to start off on this one. Winning, I am going with the Kansas City Chiefs. I've been high on Patrick Mahomes. I've been high on the Chiefs all this all this year. They were uh, uh, early last episode. They were top of my power rankings. I think they're gonna. I think they're still gonna. I think I think they have a very good chance of repeating this year. I think they are going to as as much as the Bills have had a very good season. Uh, I think Bills Mafia will agree with me in the fact that I'm still not 100% for it or uh, convinced that they will yeah, be. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't trust them fully. I think this could be a bit of a flawed run so far. If they can keep it up, great. I'm happy for them, but still not 100% comfortable with them uh, going forward. And I think I think the Chiefs are going to be good. I think the Mahomes is going to have a really good game. Uh, and score prediction-wise, I am going to go – Gonna be it's gonna be a bit more high scoring, but not as high scoring as Packers Bucks. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with what you said for the last game, 31-24. Okay, okay. See, here's the thing as well, because about the Bills, I was watching a game on Tuesday night where they played the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans undefeated. They got Derrick Henry. They got absolutely destroyed, 42 to 16. <laughs> One because they don't know how to set the edge. I was watching that game. There was multiple times where. They were where the uh, where the Titans were running to the edge. Either be t- Ryan Tannehill as well, who had two. I think you had two rush Ryan Tannehill or Derrick Henry or whoever else. Uh, just completely destroyed the. Just completely uh, destroyed the Bills' defense, and it was the outside edge was not set. So I think that's where where the Bills are weakest is really their edge setting of their defense because they go they focus too much in and as well. We're just going to – we have to point out as well that Josh Norman got totally, like, tossed by Derek Henry. <laughs> that stiff arm was nasty. I saw that replay so – I watched that replay so many times. I was yeah. so – I watched it live. I watched – I was watching that game, and I was like, dang. Anyways, regarding this game, Chiefs are going to win. Yes, and as well – because if you look at it, both teams really suffered. Like, both teams are 4-0. They suffered losses that they weren't really expecting. Like, the Bills were expected to go yeah. in and beat the Titans. Like, the Titans were, Titans were a decent team, but as well, the Titans didn't have a lot of time to prepare. They were away from their facility. The Bills had the advantage. And they let the, – like, obviously, they were playing on the road. There were some fans in Tennessee. But still, you're going – like, there's going to be times where you're going to have to go into a road stadium – and fans are not, you're going to have to win as well. It's a little bit easier this year with less yeah. fans, and they're not doing it. So for me, it's tough to say the Chiefs are going to win. I know that as well. Like Patrick Holmes, I've been very high on him as well. He's been high on my power rankings as well regards to the overall team. He's an MVP candidate, similar to Packers, similar to Aaron Rodgers, the Packers quarterback. For me, score prediction, I want to say it's going to be close. I think it's going to be 28-21. It's going to be a touchdown. It's going to be different. It's going to be – there's going to be a lot of, a little more defense because the Bills' defense is still very solid. But I think it's just really the edge is going to hurt because you do have Edwards Clyde Hilaire, uh, who is – or Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who is a solid running back for the Chiefs, a former LSU national champion. And I think that's where they're really going to explode him is to the edge where Buffalo is going to have its weakness, uh, weakest points really. 
Alrighty. Hopefully, I think that's going to be a really good game to watch this week. Definitely. Uh, wrapping up our segment here with our last game, uh, the Cleveland Browns versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I saw a very interesting stat uh, before we kind of get into this. Uh, very interesting stat uh, posted to uh, WTF Stats on Instagram, which I thought was really cool. Uh, so all time, the Pittsburgh Steelers are 14-0 and versus teams with colors in their name which is the Green Bay Packers and the Cleveland Browns, which I thought was very interesting. So if the Browns win this weekend, they obviously break that uh, streak. If the Steelers win this weekend, they continue it. I'm honestly going with the Pittsburgh Steelers in this one. I think the Browns, although they have had a decent start to the season, I am not 100% convinced, uh, similar, similarly to the Bills situation, as I talked about in the power rankings uh, this week. And, I mean, in my mind, the Steelers have looked uh, exceptional, I think. Ben Roethlisberger, I mean, the argument has been that they've had easy opponents, but Ben Roethlisberger seems to have been healed properly and has been uh, somehow come out better after his, in, uh, after his devastating injury last year. And they, Chase Claypool looks like a monster. Yep. Oh, and he's been, he's been he's I think been he's going to just run all over this Browns offense, uh, Browns defense. And I'm, I'm honestly going to high-scoring affair because uh, this is going to be a – Battle of the two high-powered offense, because I think OBJ is going to have another good game. He's looked really good this season. Uh, after there was that bit of a scare, some people – he went home uh, after practice earlier on this week feeling a bit ill. He had his COVID test, came That's back negative. negative so, so he's all fun on that front. So hopefully he's back for this game uh, just so we can have another exciting game. I'm going – or predictions are hard for me because it's tough to tough to tell with football. It could be really high scoring where you get like forty point games, could be low scoring where you get like a seven three or something like that, like yeah. which is rare but still can happen. Um, honestly, I'm gonna go with thirty five thirty two. Okay, that that's high scoring. It's gonna for be me, high scoring yeah. in a close game. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think the Steelers are going to come out. Like, their defense is solid. I believe I was reading something that Steelers right now are number two in run defense in regards to yards per game allowed. And as well, the Browns are mostly a run-heavy team. So they're going to – Browns are going to try to really force the ball down the Steelers' throat. And the Steelers are going to try to stop the run as much as possible. And similar to – I want to say sort of – like, Baker Mayfield – has the ability to throw the ball, like, you know, pretty decently. But similar to Lamar Jackson, he has struggled when he's forced to throw the ball, right? Like, they're a run-first team. So when you when you switch them to pass-first team, a lot of teams like the Browns struggle with passing the ball and having success scoring touchdowns. Like, when you when you get the team, like, as with any team, really, a team wants to be able to be up and just run the ball. But when the, if, the, if the Browns are down and they're down bad, big, you know, because the Steelers, you know, score touchdowns and the Browns' defense is, you know, not as good, they're going to be forced to pass the ball. Like, and, and that's not good because then you are forced into bad situations where you're going to turn over the ball because Baker Mayfield doesn't yet have the same, like, you know, I would say the same IQ as well, like football IQ as uh, Ben Roethlisberger, who's been in the league for a number of years, or other quarterbacks where they know to make the smart decisions of where to put the ball, when to run it, when to tuck it, you know, when to just take the sack and, you know, if you can or not, you know. And I think that's going to be a big difference in this game. The Steelers, yes, have had a fairly easy schedule, but any game, any, and as well, like, I think really, I know I've been a little bit tough on the Steelers, you know, oh, they had a t- week, like, weak schedule. I think I'm going to change a bit and say, if you really think about it, but any team in the NFL can beat any team. Because if, like, oh, yeah. If you think about it, this Sports past week, <laughs> the Dolphins put up 43 points against, yes, the battered up. 49ers but still the Jimmy Garoppolo was in the game Jimmy Garoppolo was in the game for that and he just had he just wasn't playing well he wasn't fully healthy as well but he wasn't playing well so it's interesting as well the fact that yes you know you can make the argument the Steelers had a fairly easy schedule but any team can be any team in the league and for me I think the Steelers are going to win it they're the better team they're going to stay undefeated uh score prediction wise I think it's going to be fairly high as well I'm going to say 35-31 Steelers take it on a last ditch or like, or like on a defensive stand. Like I think the Browns will be driving the ball down and the Steelers will step up. With you're the, you're the really good at prices right me on this one. Going with the one less, really interesting. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> yeah. enough. <laughs> that, that's, 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 that's what I'm going with. I'm just going to one up you on the prices right sort of thing. Anyways, that wraps up this week's NFL week six preview. Moving on into our last topic of the day. It's over or under. Today we are talking about is Taylor Hall overrated? He just signed a one-year, 
eight million uh, eight million dollar contract with the Buffalo Sabers. Weirdly, uh, starting uh, kind of later on in NHL free agency. There's still some big names out there, like a Mike Hoffman still out, uh, still out there for available. Anthony Duclair, who's representing himself weirdly, and there's a whole whole different can of worms going on with that but that's interesting it is interesting and i mean hey if you want to go out and get your money go out and get your money but you got to know that with it without having an agent you got to represent yourself you still got to know where your place is in the world anyways yes um taylor hall signing that contract at buffalo kind of kind of surprised a bunch of people it was very kept secret as to where he was gonna sign uh, and people are expecting a long-term deal, a bunch of money, but a one-year deal was kind of interesting. Starting off with you, Sam, do you think he is overrated? And what do you kind of think, what are your thoughts on this contract as a sort of a, a dual topic here? It's weird. Cause it's like, if you look at Taylor Hall over the past few seasons, he he's, he hasn't performed great. Like he, he has had some decent seasons, but clearly he's been tossed around and that clearly makes him if he's been tossed around from team to team, clearly he hasn't performed up to his standard from what we've seen and from what we remember from his good old days with the, uh, with the Oilers as well, with the Edmonton Oilers. So when you look at back on those days, yeah, you know, he, he was a young, aspiring star. But now since he's a little bit older, he's been in the league for a number of years. He's been tossed around from the Oilers to the, the New Jersey Devils, now to, from the Coyotes as well. The Coyotes didn't really re-sign him, which was an interesting move as well. Why they didn't do that, that we talked about that, I think, on our, uh, another episode previous episode of the free agency stuff and why they didn't do that. Him signing with Buffalo was weird because it's like, if you think about it, Jack Eichel was trying to get out of there because Buffalo wasn't making like really moves. But this is interesting now that they brought Tyler Taylor Hall in to go with uh, Jack Eichel and maybe Jack Eichel's mood will change. Like, oh, you know, they're actually working to bring in players. But I do think in regards to the topic of overrated, he's slightly overrated. I don't think he's way overrated. Like he has had some decent seasons over the past few years. But I think overall, if you look at him as a player recently, he hasn't performed what he's up to. Now, it's a one-year, $8 million deal. It's not a multi-year deal because Buffalo clearly knows the value of Taylor Hall. But as well, you're not signing him to a one-year, $1.5 million deal like another like other teams have, like a, like a veteran's minimum or a younger, like a, like a, a smaller contract. You're signing him to a one-year, $8 million. That's like gonna, that $8 million is going to eat up a lot of cap just for that one year. So if you're trying to bring in other players, it does make a difference when you have one guy who's just like sit, sucking up $8 million worth of your cap. And he's like, you know, he's performing decently, but he's not a top star player. You know, would you agree? Yes, I would totally agree. And I mean, just look, Taylor Hall has had a very, very interesting career because obviously drafted at 19, uh, drafted into Edmonton uh, at 19, won the Calder trophy and start, was looking like he was going to be a top player in the league. Uh, goes through a few years with Edmonton and then weirdly gets traded for Adam Larson to the New Jersey Devils, which was yeah. a really strange deal. Then goes out and wins the Hart Trophy, with the, uh, wins the MVP of the league with the New Jersey Devils in his first year, which in my mind he didn't deserve. But again, no. that's a topic for another day um and then kind of has fallen off in recent uh and over the past two uh past two seasons uh played for the devils then got traded at the deadline to uh to the coyotes where actually uh well it was before the deadline uh, actually got to play 35 games with the coyotes before uh, in this COVID shortened season mm-hmm. which was actually kind of cool to see he's actually been in the league for 10 years now which surprises years. me he was he was drafted in 20 or he was he started into the league at 2010 Really? Which is ridiculous. And he's a first overall pick and was drafted. Yeah, drafted in 2010, first overall pick, came in, won the Calder. And he's been in the league for 10 years now, which is scary. Like, uh, I'm, I know I'm only 17, but I am old somehow at the same time. I, I Anyways. Um, I, I didn't know he was in the league for 10 years. I thought it was like, maybe, I thought it was like five or like seven years. Like, I was, I was, thinking, I, I, yeah, I didn't know he was drafted in 2010. That's <laughs> In my mind, getting to the point, I do I do think that Taylor Hall currently is overrated. I'm going to say more overrated than you think, personally. Um, just looking at his stats over the past few seasons, I mean, uh, obviously had had the Hart Trophy uh, in 2017-18, and that was that was probably his best year. Argu- definitely his best year because he won the trophy. Arguably shouldn't have, but that was his best year. Had a plus 14 on the ice. Had what was it, 93 points? Yeah, 93 points in a very, very good uh, good year. But if you look at the rest of his career overall, if you take away the Hart Trophy season, you're looking at full seasons of a minus nine, minus three, 
a five in 2012, 13, positive five. That's okay. But then <laughs> minus 15, a minus nine down the road. And then recent years, I mean, 2018, a negative six. And this past season, I mean, he started out with the very bad New Jersey Devils as a minus 11, which it's understandable. It was the very bad New Jersey Devils. And then went to the Coyotes, only had a minus three, but he's a career minus 42. And I mean, yes, he does have 563 career points, uh, just one assist shy of hitting 100. But at the same time, he like in my mind, he's been he's been such a weird player. He's bounced around a lot. He's had some weird years and had some really like, I mean, and it's just been a weird, weird career for Taylor Hall. And he's been one of the interesting storylines to watch over the years. And for having a one-year $8 million contract signing with Buffalo, that was a very interesting deal. Because if you look at that deal, you say, okay, why would he sign one year at $8 million with Buffalo of all teams? Because Buffalo makes no sense. It's such a weird team to sign with. But the reason it makes it made sense was Buffalo, okay, he's now going to go play with Jack Eichel probably for the foreseeable future. And he's going to go play with Jack Eichel, put up a bunch of ridiculous numbers, and then he's going to go out next season in a year where hopefully the cap goes up because with COVID and all that, the cap is, is kind of stagnated. He's going to go into it with Jack Eichel, put up a whole bunch of points, and hopefully then he can say, okay, now I can say, or now I can say, okay, I can get the money I should be deserving in a year where actually I can make money because right now teams do not have a lot of cash. They don't have a lot of cash at all. And 100%. so for him to sign a year, uh, sign a one-year deal, it's kind of saying, okay, I'll go to this year. Uh, I'll take this year and be like, okay, take this year, put up a bunch of points with Jack Eichel. And I'll go make my bag next year. And I think that's similarly to be what, uh, what Mike Hoffman will do as a sort of side note there. I think he's going to take a short-term deal. Maybe he'll yeah. go to Buffalo too and just they'll <laughs> mess around and have a really good year in Buffalo and just have a really high-powered offense. Who knows? Because they're one of the few teams that have cap space right now. I think uh, Hoffman might be an option for the Sens as well because they're struggling just to hit the floor of the cap right now, let alone the ceiling. So they have the money to pay him. But overall, I think Taylor Hall – I mean, it made, the contract makes sense for him, and I do think he is a bit of an overrated player, but it'll be interesting to see what the team will uh, – what he'll, what he'll kind of look like going forward after this year because who knows if he'll make a bunch of money, if he'll end up not playing great and won't get the money he's deserved, or what kind of happens because Taylor Hall is one of the most interesting stories in, in, the hockey, in the hockey world because he's had such an up-and-down, up-and-down career. Definitely. I would agree. That wraps up this segment of Over or Under regarding the uh, Over or Under on Taylor Hall, as well as his contract signing a one-year deal, $8 million with the Buffalo Sabres. That wraps up this episode of Season 2 of On the Rise Podcast. You should follow our Instagram at Rise Podcast. Listen in on midtownradio.ca and visit our website, ontherisepodcast.ca. We will see you on Wednesday.